Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 9, Defiant, teleplayed by Ronald D. Moore and directed by Cliff Bull. This episode aired on November 21st, 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, when Commander William T. Riker from the Enterprise D arrives on Deep Space Nine, he takes a liking to Kira, who gives him a tour of the Defiant. But Riker is not who he says he is, attacks Kira, and steals the Defiant. Oh, shit. Defiantly. <laughs> this week, we're joined again by managing editor of the MovieJohn.com website and friend of the pod, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hello, happy to be back. I'm so glad to rejoin you uh, out in space on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I really wish like the three of us could just like go to Quarks and like discuss this over a drink or something. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Uh, yeah, edit out all the the background noise from Quarks Bar. <laughs> <laughs> Elise, you always want to go to Quarks, and I think it has something to do with his Holosuite programs. <laughs> I also like love Quark. Like, I feel like I'm very much like this. Uh, this rewatch has really just opened my eyes <laughs> to my Quark feelings. I was talking to someone about this recently. I just, I don't know. He got me. It's bad. I have a bed. Quark who is not in this episode. <gasps> Elise is a quark fucker. Oh yeah, he isn't. Well, we can still pretend we're discussing it. I mean, he's briefly in this episode. Yeah, he is in the episode. He's in my... Briefly. He's actually in my favorite oh, right. scene of the episode, if I'm being honest. But briefly, more on that just later. for a second. Just to see how it feels. <laughs> just the tip of quark. All right. Well, Ryan, welcome back. We're happy to have you here. As we've like talked about your DS9 origin story earlier in the podcast, I guess we'll start with asking you, why did you want to come back on for Season 3, Episode 9, Defiance? I, I feel like I've been... Uh subconsciously picking tng connected episodes i was thinking that as well actually (laughs) uh so i kind of wanted to continue the streak but but overall when i was looking at you know the the season the season overall i just really love uh tom Riker and the fact that he exists uh and also like the way that jonathan frakes performs as tom versus will where they do feel actually like uh at least moderately different characters um you know and it's we're in the we're in a year of multiverses, so I thought this would also be a fun episode <laughs> to talk. Because not that it's a multiverse, but it's a multi-person thing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> a duplicate, a counter, a counterpart. Uh, yeah. Speaking no, of you. speaking of multiverses, when AJ and I were watching this on Friday, um, we were joking, or AJ was joking. I don't want to just like steal his idea here um about your podcast i know but he's gonna listen and then yell at me he's not gonna yell at me but he'll think about yelling at me um (laughs) um we were talking about how like lately there's just been so many like gold ducat um scenes where um he's like not the worst and we keep discussing like AJ was like, it'd be really interesting to see, like, if we, if Gold Ducat went, like, down a different path, like, for the rest of the show. And I said that we can explore that on our sequel podcast after this is done. Um, 
but like the idea of like a mirror universe where he's like not a piece of shit <laughs> would be like kind of funny but also i think it would be boring as a show concept but it is funny as like a you know I mean, I'm not. I'd be down for. It was a just a multiverse. Galdicott <laughs> redemption arc. Uh, eventually, you know, um, if it's done, if it's if it's written well. I don't think we ever need a redemption arc again after getting one in um, Shira and the Princesses of Power. Like I'm set for redemption arcs because they can never be better than that one. I mean, that is a, that is a great one. I am just team. I always want a redemption arc <laughs> at this point. <laughs> That's fair. Like I They're just, fun. I just want bad people to be able to atone without having to, you know, be like, oh, I'm good now. And also, by the way, RIP, I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, Forgiveness, even if even if you don't love me anymore. I mm-hmm. feel that a good redemption arc, <laughs> which has nothing to do with this episode. Um, is you know you can be good now and healed, but also you can come home again. That is the very important. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's the whole idea of like you know what restorative justice is versus like you know that that kind of like deathbed confession. Very you know yeah. <laughs> and here's why Tom Raker is the Green Knight in this episode. <laughs> Star Trek: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> What did we sign up for? Uh, so, Elise, I guess we'll kind of dive into the discussion here on, on the episode board, specifically with our initial thoughts. And it's time for the age-old question. Did Elise remember Season 3, Episode 9, Defiant? I did not remember this episode, um, which I think was good because I may have enjoyed it more. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And it definitely felt like a low-key like Jack Ryan-type plot to me. Um, the enemies have to like work together to stop the rogue guy, and there's vessels involved, ship vessels, not like blood vessels, and, and not romantic yeah. ship. Well, there are romantic ships, but also spaceships. I have a lot of feelings about this episode. <laughs> yeah, there were spaceships, and I didn't actually ship relationship ship anyone in this episode. Um, it was more like. Can you use can you use ship as like if you just want them to fuck like I don't need them to be in, in a relationship I don't know more more on that later but yeah so lots of ships Jack Ryan yeah I definitely I, I I definitely enjoyed the intrigue aspects of this and you know the other the other reason that I picked it besides my love of Tom Riker is my ongoing fascination with the McKee um, and so. You know, I I like that twist for Tom, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But, um, you know, I also really just enjoyed the, you know, how are we going to resolve this situation? Like, I feel like there's so many Trek episodes where you're like, okay, I kind of like I either we're going to solve this with some sort of like, you know, made up techno techno babble solution, you know, or attack the tech. Right. You know, but this is much more of a you know, political strategy, which I think, yeah. you know, um, uh, which I think DS9 does better than any Trek series so far. Right, because it's like, there's like trading of information and, and stuff, which we'll, we'll get into, but I, I agree with you completely. Yeah, and it's been interesting to kind of, starting with the introduction of the Maki last season, and as we we kind of go through it, and just like the competing priorities that add to like 
both the political stakes and the political drama of this episode, right? So you have Gal Dukat teaming up with Ben Sisko about, you know, trying to prevent further escalation of the conflict and, like, <laughs> maintain this sort of geopolitical status quo, um, rightly or wrongly, probably more so wrongly, but we can get into that if you folks want to. Then we have the Obsidian Order as well being this other subset of Greater Cardassia that are having their own machinations and their own agenda and access to materials and technology that they're not supposed to under Cardassian law. And then you have the the Maquis as well. And generally, like, their goal, what they stand for, and then Tom's, Riker's, even personal motivations within that, and the ways in which his own pathos comes into into play. And then there's some really, I don't, some of the framing of Kira's background as a resistance fighter, like I know they're using Kira and Tom as foils off each other. And like, I do like that. I think some of the framing of Kira's background gets flattened a little bit. I think the other yeah. episodes have done a better, I, have done I a better agree. job. Yeah. I, guess, I feel like other episodes have done a better yeah. job of kind of like digging into the nuance there. Whereas like you are a terrorist, you know what yeah. it's like? I'm a terrorist now too. Like, look at me like that. <laughs> they were just throwing that word around a lot in this, script i felt like without giving yeah. too much to it um there is like that flattening there that i was i was talking about but i do like the idea of basically and not to jump to the end like i was talking about the episode like overall tom kind of gets his wish right like he's in it for the cause yes it's a cause he believes in but he also like has this giant martyr complex and then like he gets to be martyred, essentially. Right. Right? Like, again, he's not going to be executed. He's, like, going to be, like, in the labor camp, which, I mean, is is one that much better than the other one? Like, I get that it has, like, the appearances <laughs> of which, but, like, if I could just be dead or be, like, in yeah, a labor camp. Yeah, I thought about that, too. For the rest of my life. I don't know. Maybe I'd rather be dead? Yeah. Not to get too no. dark there. No, yeah. I, I actually came to the same conclusion for myself. Yeah, I, I, I have a couple thoughts on that, that that kind of shaped my feeling about the episode as a whole. Because I, I didn't remember the details. All I remembered was like, oh yeah, Tom Riker shows up. He's part of the McKee. He steals the Defiant. Right. And I didn't remember any of the third or fourth act stuff. But I think they... It's almost like the writers started with that premise and then they went to figure out their way out of it and got really much more heavily invested in the Cisco Galducat side of this story. Cause I think that's just yeah. it's just much better written and much more interesting. Where I feel like, you know, the Defiant is like supposedly the exciting part because they're, you know, being chased by all these Kardashian ships and stuff. Right. But there's really not a lot that happens <laughs> in that plot. Uh and then yeah, I mean the the choice to have him not be executed really just feels like a okay we need to keep tom Riker in our back pocket in case we decide to bring him back again and <laughs> right you know, Kira makes that makes that promise to yep. like come back which you know spoiler alert he never does um but the, it it you know that that felt more like the like a writerly thing than a like i don't even want to say realistic but like a satisfying conclusion to the episode right. because if 
if they had written Tom Rager goes out in a blaze of glory for the Maquis, I feel like that actually is a much more interesting story with a, potentially a lot more implications and impact to future stories yeah. than just him yeah, like I, tucked away. Yeah, you're 100% correct that it is like that, hey, we'll put this piece in our back pocket to maybe come back later. And in a, in a lot of ways, it's unfortunate that they didn't, but there was a Deep Space Nine computer game and i can't remember the name of it now um it was kind of a mediocre game what i recall but yeah it it actually picks up on this thread it like takes place during the dominion war and you get to bust tom Riker out of uh, (laughs) the prison camp but i have to say like i agree with what ryan was saying but it also works for me because i'm not saying it didn't work for you but um the fact that this is like the first tng related episode of Deep Space Nine, where I felt like the whole premise wasn't necessarily, like, about the TNG characters. Like, it was, it really did um, further the relationship, I guess the the working relationship between Cisco and Gul Dukat for me. Like, it definitely um, deepened that, and I think that that's something we've been kind of getting a lot more of this season, in general. Um you know, they have to, they're in similar positions of opposing sides and they, they kind of have to work together occasionally. And it's interesting. I have a lot of feelings that I was going to get into later about how they basically like tried to make us like Gold Dukat because the Obsidian Order is worse and all of that, um, which is kind of interesting also. But um, I wanted to say in general, the... The fact that this episode starts off for me, like it's to go back to the beginning with like Kira needs to rest because she's burnt out from having too many job jobs that she needs to be doing was the most relatable thing ever to me watching this episode. And it just felt like how everyone I talk to now feels about living in a pandemic and doing their jobs. Yeah, I mean, I uh, have literally had a one-on-one with my boss where I was like, I feel like I'm just starting to recover from my burnout from our last busy season, which is like the fall and early winter, and just in time to start gearing up for this year's busy season. So um, yeah, I I definitely felt um, super, super related to to that uh, Julia and Kira interaction. Because, and, and again, that feeling of like, sometimes you don't even notice how burnout right. you are until somebody else yep. points it out, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and her immediate pushback because, you know, you can sort of see on her face where she's just like, no, I, I just have all this stuff going on. And, you know, it's that, yeah. it's that meme of like, I just need to get through this week over and over until you're dead. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, it, I was, I'm like rewatching Beverly Hills 90210 and the episode I watched yesterday, David Silver's like doing meth to like get through finals and like his um, midnight to six a.m. radio shift, and he's like, "Yeah, I just wanted to get through this week." And I'm like, "Dude, what did you think was gonna happen after this week? You're still gonna have to do that radio show. You're still gonna have to do your schoolwork." Like, it was a whole. It was like a little bit of a PSA thing, but it also felt like very. You know, you really have to take a break when you feel this way. Um, Fixing it with outside things like drugs or medication is not helpful. You really need to just stop 
and recover when you have burnout. Uh, yeah, heal- healing is good. Uh, sp- speed is yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just had one other thing I wanted to say relating to like my initial thoughts on this episode. I really appreciated how the episode retold us what happened with Thomas Riker, where obviously Odo had to explain it to um, Ducat, and it really helped if you... The first time I had watched this episode, I obviously did not know who... I mean, I guess it wasn't obvious, but I watched Deep Space Nine before I watched TNG. So, like, I didn't know any of that information about what happened. So, it kind of felt like a very easy way to do, like, a previously on without doing a previously on. And I think I might actually go back and rewatch the TNG episode Second Chances this afternoon. Because I didn't get a chance to watch it, be- rewatch it before... Huh, chance <laughs> um no i i agree and i and i think it was kind of like an efficient in-universe kind of way to, to write that in that to catch people in who m- might be confused or or didn't remember that particular like one-off episode of of tng right. um and like honestly it's probably something that we could probably do a little bit more not to go on too much of a tangent but in our like the modern area of story modern era of storytelling that we're in um i know we've made some some multiverse references already in this podcast but uh i had a friend who was watching multiverse of madness the the new doctor strange movie last night for the first time and again had watched wandavision but you know isn't as like just a pretty like you know average mcu consumer right not not knowing all the different connections or, or things like this and they're like yeah they they didn't really dig it um for, for a lot of reasons, because now at this point, the MCU is so big, they kind of just, and I think in a lot of ways they can do it, expect you just to remember everything. Right. right? I mean, um, at the same time, I didn't really dig that movie, and I do remember all of the connections, so that's, uh, make your own choice on that one, I guess. I don't mean to say that in an argumentative way. I do agree with you that the MCU is so large now that you can pick the pockets that feel like something you're interested in and ignore and you don't have to like do the rest of it and but that's can totally you though fun. because of way it's like like i i think that like if that was what it was that would be ideal and i think yeah that, so you're saying okay here. i okay let me let me i personally <laughs> can do that that is what i'm trying to say i'm not speaking for others um i don't need i'm to saying watch it's, it's challenging for folks like my friend to be able to do right that because there's no like they i guess we just we as a culture rely on like explainer pieces and like this person that i'm using as my like case study isn't as online with that or doesn't wouldn't necessarily seek out that it's just like i want to sit down and watch a movie and i can't right. just do that with these i guess anymore. i get i get right? that like if i'm going to just sit down and watch a movie like an mcu movie that i know nothing about would probably wouldn't be the thing i would pick yeah um but yeah i guess the only other kind of like trying to bring it back more to to star trek that uh following the episode you're gonna rewatch Chain of second chances later today um they almost killed will at the end of that episode to replace him with tom Riker because it was late stage next generation and they were just looking for like any excuse or any kind of reason to to shake it up so yeah they're gonna like kill will promote data to first officer and then have Lieutenant Thomas Riker take Data's position at Ops. I hate that, and I'm so glad that that didn't happen. 
Um, I love Will Riker so much. That would have ruined so many things in my life, <laughs> including Lower Decks. Um, yeah, and and <laughs> late late stage Will Riker is the best Riker. Like, you know, the, just, like I, Riker's a character it. that I like more and more as TNG goes on. Um, where like right. you know, first two seasons. You know, if it was like season two and they're like, oh, we thought we might replace Will with, with you know, a, a a double or whatever. I'd be like, OK, that's probably fine. Uh, but Riker gets gets so much more developed and so much more interesting as TNG goes on. Uh, but I, I definitely agree with the, the recap. And, you know, I have a, a Trek related example because I finally started watching Strange New Worlds. <laughs> Having seen the first two seasons of Discovery, remembered that Pike was in Discovery, but didn't remember the whole like. Uh, oh yes, I remember you, know. you asked me. We like talked about this. <laughs> I gave yeah, you a little TLDR uh, on Pike's history. Because <laughs> they were like referencing like this traumatic thing that happened, and I couldn't tell if it was a thing I was supposed to know or not. Starting the first episode of Strange New Worlds, because they were referencing. Right. Something that happened in Discovery, and it had been what two years, three years since I watched At least, Discovery yeah. season two. So um, I, I can just, totally relate yeah. to that uh, in a non MCU related way. <laughs> I kind of laughed because, if I recall correctly, the show told you what I had just explained to you like ten minutes later or something. Oh yeah, because I was watching the <laughs> I t- I texted at least during the like pre uh, title credits. Um, where I didn't even uh, realize it Pike was that is... early in in your watching. <laughs> yeah, and then and then by the time Elise explained it, it was like two scenes later they like re-explained it on the show. So, but it was me assuming they weren't going to explain it because I think there's just an assumed availability right. to everything. Like you can do the homework, whereas like in this era, unless you were a person, you know, religiously taping TNG right. and DS9 right. on your VCR. Like you, there, it was easy to miss an episode because yeah, you, know, you just yeah. might have you know been out having a life, right? Like this is not a Star Trek example of this, but like Grey's Anatomy has a lot of crossover episodes with like Station Nineteen, and like because of Hulu, I can easily watch those Station Nineteen episodes, even though I don't have interest in that show in general. But like I'll watch those episodes just so I know what's going on in Grey's Anatomy that week. <laughs> Um, and they probably assume that, like, okay, well, we're talking about, you assumed, and I probably would have as well, that they were like, okay, um, they can go watch that episode of Discovery if they want to, you know, the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like they need the, like, comic book, like, editor's note, uh, where it's like, you know, in <laughs> season two episode, whatever, <laughs> of Discovery, for more info on you know uh captain pike's emotional state like a splash screen at the beginning or end yeah <laughs> yeah like, or like a pop-up video like pop-up like video. like a Sorry. like a youtube embedded video thing where it's like click yeah, yeah, here yeah. if you haven't seen this episode of discovery and then come back to the strange new world i miss pop-up video that's not what you meant but anyway so can we discuss about how good of a doctor and friend julian is i know we talked about it a little bit but like he was great i just loved him demanding that Hira get some rest yeah i think one thing i really liked about this episode is that even though it was sort of like a light from a ds9 cast perspective because you know it's really kira and cisco getting most of the plot lines like you know everyone else 
is there in like a scene or two. Um, right. But I liked, I thought that each use of those characters was really effective. Um, yeah, with, I agree. You know, Julian being the best one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like Dax's was good too because like she's been around for so long that like, of course, she like had met Riker at some point. Um, and O'Brien was good because he was like kind of the first one that was like, okay, that guy seems off. What is going on here? So it was good uses of everyone. Um, if they're going to be in the episode that little, then <laughs> good uses. Um, I always love more of DS9 people, but it made sense. Right. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. Like if, if we're like, I would love for this to have had give them more chances to do things but i thought the choices that they made were the right choices for them to do stuff and you know that julian scene is great i I think you know sometimes in my mind uh he can come off a little like a little cold and clinical in a weird way or like like he's trying to be distant because he's trying to be the like impartial doctor person right and i thought this was a really good way to show that like no, he ca- like he cares about them as people and as the doctor, and you know he's not he's not he's not throwing his authority around where he's like you know even Cisco couldn't o- o- countermand this order as because I'm chief medical officer like he wasn't doing it to like show off his authority he was like no like I care about you and this is the right the right yeah thing. this is the medical course of action we have to take I I did go down a little bit of a rabbit hole to see if Nana and Siddig were together during the scene, like during this episode recording, because she does that scene where she's like yelling at him. And I thought that that would be really funny if that was like your partner. But I am pretty sure she was still married to her first husband at the time. So I stopped Googling because I was not trying to know that much about their personal lives. Um, But just the idea of like, playing a scene where you're like yelling at someone and it's like your partner in real life is amusing to me um i definitely enjoyed the implication that dax and Riker probably boned at some point um that made me really happy i just want dax to have boned everyone yeah yeah i mean <laughs> we love slut supremacy parentheses encouraged we do this is a pro slut pop podcast (laughs) absolutely and i mean i i really enjoyed that again because i like i really enjoy when like any kind of fiction does that sort of like on the fly backfilling where it's like we don't need the whole story of how that happened oh yeah you know and like you know maybe (laughs) that gets picked up in some you know some novel or some ancillary material or whatever but i just like that they like throw that out there and then i really yeah. really enjoyed uh dax and kira's interaction when uh tom was in cisco's office and oh like, yeah that was great it's like who's in there will <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, very uh, yeah but it was just like really funny that like she's like yeah we had a really nice time but like i'm seeing my boring vanilla boyfriend so and dax is like well then how can you keep looking at that office <laughs> I was like, and I, I love when she's like, "Oh, we we talked for three hours," and Dax is like, "Yeah, talked, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Kara, a Kara, Jesus, I've been watching a lot of Battlestar Galactica. Sorry, I don't think that um, Kira would like um, would cheat on Beryl, though. 
Oh no, I I don't think so either. But I just I enjoy the I would, he's boring, innuendo. But she would. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I should have. No, not it was out my mic like that. I mean, um. it uh, it was meant to make you laugh, so we're all good. <laughs> um, it, I found I just found the whole premise of this the fact that like this Will Riker shows up so believable because. And I meant to say this in my initial thoughts, but I we like I skipped over it. Did no one in TNG in like the episode Second Chances think, okay, maybe it's a security issue that Thomas Riker and Will Riker have like the same exact DNA and fingerprints and all this? Like that could definitely be um, a problem, <laughs> as we learn here. But it makes so much sense because, like, of course, Kira and Cisco would be giving Will Riker the royal treatment and showing him around the station and showing him the Defiant. And it just, it's, it was such a smart plot because it was just, of course, that would work. But yeah, I, I, I enjoy the implication. because nobody knew about it. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I enjoy the implication because just as a refresher, because I refreshed myself on this, at the end of Second Chances, Picard gets. Uh, Tom Riker stationed on a different ship. Uh, right. And they're like, okay, like you can go have your own Starfleet. You know, you can play out your Starfleet career over there. Um, and so, you know, I, I enjoy the sort of short-sightedness of that. Yeah. But that also then made me want like some scene with Will Riker where he's like trying to do something and the security is like not working because he can't remember his password. <laughs> and he, he has like all these extra protocols he has to go <laughs> through because Tom is out there. And <laughs> really funny <laughs> uh, that would be like a random scene in, in Lower Decks I feel like um, I laughed hysterically when Thomas Riker just like removes his sideburns in that one scene and I love the difference between like okay one has a beard and the other one just has like a goatee like that's so funny to me um, but just like the removal of the sideburns was just it's very dramatic yeah but it was like very amusing um i just thought it was a very funny reveal and I well yeah and, it, and it's 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 more of a reveal i think for us as the audience and like the oh right. it's not will it's thomas because even in the credits it says like a special like guest appearance or special guest star like jonathan frake so it doesn't say like who he's right. playing whereas it always says mark alabo is as gildicott mm-hmm. um Oh, I don't think I caught that. Oh, that's that's, that's fun. Um, but yeah, like there's even because it's like you hear you hear Frank's voice first, and then the camera right. pans over, like at the end of like the teaser and stuff like that. Um, but like really, like uh, it's so like I said, like I was saying, it's totally for the audience because like Will Riker, had it been Will Riker, could have changed his facial hair, and it doesn't matter. Like, right. Jordy grows a beard and then gets rid of it, and then it comes back, and like, right. you know what I mean. But it's just, you know, it's it's. It's fun. interesting too, because like I didn't catch the fact that the credits were a little bit different, but also I wouldn't have thought anything of it because like Andrew Robinson and and Margalemo, like they're wearing the prosthetic makeup, so like it makes sense to me yeah. for ha- to have as Goldicott or as Garrick like in the. In the credits, mm, so you because know. you know who's yeah. playing, but, like, Jonathan Frakes is Will Riker. Like, that's just, like, a known thing. So it really was fun yeah. to, like, twist that around. I also wanted to know what the security was like on Starfleet uniforms, because Tom, I think Tom Riker, as cause I think he's a lieutenant, would still be in the, the gold. And so, like, 
they had to somehow steal the the crimson uniform right. for him to pass as uh, <clears throat> as a first officer. So uh, I, again, like I feel like there's a lot of fun potential like setup for this. That like I'm glad they skipped over for the sake of what does happen in the episode. But I like the idea that you can easily sort of build off the stuff that is there. Um, and then I really enjoyed when uh, Will calls the Defiant a, a tough little ship, which is a then comes back uh, as a Will Riker line about the Defiant in Star Trek First Contact, uh, which is very fun and an Easter egg I probably never would have picked up on myself. But I, I really whether I have to imagine it was intentional because it is really specific wording. But uh, I just I really enjoyed that sort of sense of character continuity between the two Rikers. Well, and both were both first contact was co-written and this episode was written by Ronald D. Moore. So either an intentional callback <laughs> or, or, or laziness. That's just what Ron <laughs> thinks joking. of the defiant. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think Ron- Ronald D. Moore is a lazy person. <laughs> it's it's so, either a, an intentional callback or just a self plagiarization. <laughs> Happy yes, little that's... accident. Um, <laughs> this, this, this tree, it's like the Ryan earlier when you were talking about why you picked this episode, you said you appreciated some of the differences and nuances in Frake's performance as Thomas versus who we know him to be as as will Riker. i was wondering if and i know we don't have this in the notes i'm going off book a little bit here so i i kind of apologize kind of not i was wondering if you could dive <laughs> sorry, into <not> that <laughs> literally i was wondering if you could like dive into more like what you what you meant by that and kind of give us some some examples right and even like comparing and contrasting thomas acting as will early on versus you know some of those foil scenes we see with with Kira later yeah I mean I think of Will as um you know a a bit cocky but very by the book um you know very sort of steady and you know confident but in a way that feels earned um and like he's and I mean this again as a compliment like Will is like a little boring at the same time um and I think what makes Tom so interesting is he's such a he's a lighter character even though he's burdened with more emotional stuff going on and so I think seeing a Riker who is less confident because he has less uh like I mean he's the same age but like he was trapped on a planet for eight years so like you know he has less Starfleet experience under his belt um you know and he's in like and then he has that sort of like almost like younger sibling kind of vibe towards Will where he's seen, a, you know, a different Riker that he could have become and didn't because of what happened to, you know, just because of happenstance. And so I feel like he has like a little bit more trauma, a little bit more of a, uh, like a needing to prove himself, you know, which kind of feeds into the martyr complex we were talking about earlier. Um, right. But he's also much more likely to to take risks and do bold things and, you know, join them, join the Maquis. And like, um, you know, he, I feel like Frakes, you can tell, I, I feel like you can tell that Frakes is like just having a lot of fun being Tom and being a bit more brash. And like I said, a little bit more inexperienced, but, but like more cocky than confident, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it was interesting because Thomas Riker, you know, and we, we use the word sibling and I use the same word um in my notes obviously they're not 
actually siblings, but it, it feels that way. Um, but I, I found it interesting because in portrayal, in like normally in storytelling, that in my experience, if one sibling is, you know, more successful than the other, you have this whole like, why aren't you like your brother aspect coming from the parents. And obviously that is not what happened here. So I find it you know, he didn't have that growing up because he didn't exist. And I think that it's interesting and a little more interesting to tell that story than rather that, like, the the pressure is on himself. Like, he's putting the pressure on himself. It, it doesn't... I don't think anyone else is putting the pressure on him. And I think that that is more interesting than someone dealing with the pressure that their folks put on them to, like, be as successful as their brother or sister or something like that. So I yeah, found that it's, actually, like, I really liked that, like, that whole... Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And I don't think it's as much of a contrast as, like, Patrick Stewart's performance as an alternate Picard in, was that, Tapestry, the TNG episode, where he, like doesn't stand up to somebody in a fight or whatever and becomes like a much more meek uh officer as a result but like it, to me it, it it's a similar thing but but l- i think more subtle which i think you know again gives i think more credit to to freaks in this particular scenario right and we similarly have like on the other hand we have um the episode family where you see him interact with his brother and uh, picard i mean and so we do have mm-hmm. that like we went in different position different places and it's interesting because you know Picard and his brother wanted such different things so like I'm glad we didn't have a similar to that story and that this was this is you know I don't know I think I'm just repeating myself again but like that this was like you know a different situation good brain empty story good (laughs) yeah it, it feels like an organic extension of the of the you know origin of tom ranker as a concept you know like it 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 feels like a natural progression in a way even though again all the stuff about him joining the mckee is like backstory to this episode that has nothing to do with his previous appearance yeah so i I just think that yeah yep i was excited that we got to see kira do a little listen all y'all it's a sabotage on the like defiance (laughs) cloaking um and then they were like we need to make you uh, come to the bridge with us so we can keep an eye on you, which allowed for that conversation we mentioned earlier when she was like, I was a terrorist. You don't, you're not. A th-. It was interesting to, I just think the idea of like narrowing down what a terrorist is and isn't is like very, um, I don't know. It's a, well, They I, make I, it I, seem a I, little I, too easy. <laughs> I yeah, don't know I mean, that I, it's I, that unnuanced. Yeah, I know we talked about, you know, it's sort of being a little flattened, but I did enjoy hearing Kira's perspective where she's like, I mean, she's talking about Tom specifically, but it sounds, it almost feels right. like she's talking about the McKee in general, where, you know, she's like, you're you're still thinking like a Starfleet officer where you're like g- gathering intelligence and doing this and doing that. And, you know, where Kira is coming from the like her perspective as a freedom fighter is like how many Bajoran lives can I save today or how many Cardassians can I kill right. today? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, think where... she's I don't think she's wrong. I think mm-hmm. um I just think that they as a, as Matt said earlier, they they flatten the definition of uh of 
Kira, not definition, but they, they flattened Kira's backstory maybe a little bit. You have another target, a military <laughs> target, then name the system. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I do... Did we have anything else we wanted to talk about with Kira and Riker's interaction and what the Maquis were doing before we get on to Cisco and Ducat? I do think... Sorry, to get back to, like... The Maquis. Sorry. I'm going to ask a question and then answer my own question. Yeah. I was like asking it, not realizing that I had an answer for it. Like, my brain is a little. That's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's clear to me that the other Maquis people are like not pleased with like how Thomas Riker is like, okay, yeah, Kira's in charge again and like how how it ended. Like, they were very. I think that all the Maquis people would have like done a suicide mission. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I think there's two ways to, to you know, kind of argue that. Like, there's there's the, on the one hand, it's like, you know, the Tom Riker martyr syndrome that we talked about, where, like, he, he needs a cause that's sort of higher than his own to feel like he has a place, uh, it, it, you know, it, um, has a place in the world. And then there's also the, like, his goal was more about, exposing what's going on on i forget the name of the planet already um what's going on on that planet inside the obsidian order and with the cardassians like that's that's his goal and like you know he he accomplished the mission um because you know he exposed that something is going on out there and the obsidian order is doing stuff that's you know secret from even gold Ducat. so i think you know mission parameter success for him even though the mckee are probably like oh we you know would have rather have taken out, you know, 20 Cardassian warships or whatever the final tally ends up being that's surrounding the Defiant. So as we, I guess, I don't know if we like went into the plot specifically, but, you know, Thomas Riker steals the Defiant when uh, after Kira is, uh, you know, showing it to him. And he decides that he's going to take it into the demilitarized zone. And so our friends have to get Ducat involved because we don't want a... Um, or they don't want a like all-out war between the Maquis and the Federation and Cardassia. As they say, we're not hosting an intergalactic hangar down here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what they say? No, they don't. It's a wrong um, franchise. I I found this interesting because they got you know Cisco goes with Ducat on on Cardassia Prime ship and has to basically decide which information he wants to tell them about the Defiant and not, which I I found that to be um, interesting because obviously he he had to tell them that it can cloak and Golducott is like, what? And the Obsidian Order is like, yeah, been there, done that. We knew that already. Um, I make It makes me wonder, like, while Cisco is having to decide what to tell them and what not to tell them, I'm like, now I'm like, well, the Obsidian Order probably knows all of it anyway, so you might as well just spill it. And I also hope that they went back and, like, changed stuff at the end of this episode um, to, like, make the Defiant, um, not that I'm, like, pro-warships or whatever, <laughs> but, like, I hope they change something so that if they do have to go to war with Cardassia they'll, or, and the Maquis or whoever, that they, like, have some surprises left in their tough little ship. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, on the, the broader, 
the broader implications of all this it, it's kind of nice the um having tom being part of the mckee because you know at least like you were talking about earlier about him being just a general security risk for existing um, right. <laughs> you know it it sort of ties in that like maybe the federation is a little short-sighted and what they're really good at is protecting the status quo and so like they weren't thinking through when they signed this agreement with the cardassians about you know the the uh federation citizens in the demilitarized zone and in cardassian territory which you know spawns this whole terrorist movement that wouldn't exist without the terms of that agreement potentially um and so I, I just think it's really interesting showing, you know, sort of the parallels between Cisco and Gul Dukat in this episode and, and how, you know, they're working together to enforce the status quo. And like, you know, it's it's almost like a like a lawful good, lawful evil teaming up in a way, um, <laughs> you know, to, to enforce the status quo, whereas like the McKee, you know, it would almost be like a chaotic good or chaotic neutral type force and so like you know these two lawful entities are like all right we got to protect what this piece that we've brokered and and then you have the obsidian order which is like a chaotic evil <laughs> uh, you know force and so like you have all these things bouncing off each other and it's interesting to see where that those alignments uh, occur between the different factions in this um i would just say that i think um the cardassian Central Command is maybe um, lawful evil, but otherwise I'm I'm with you on all of this. Um, and I think it is interesting to see the different. Um, what is that called that we just did, that you just did? Uh, the, more like the morality alignments. Yes, that we like see all the morality alignments like bouncing off of each other and dealing with um, each other's motivations. It is kind of it is fun. I don't normally think about characters that way, um, so I always find it interesting. Uh, and I I did like to, to call back to my previous episode, uh, the, the last <laughs> time I was on with um, uh, O'Brien's trial, uh, right. I, I did enjoy that Cisco was like, we all know what Cardassian trials are like, so can you arrange for this, like hurry up and arrange for the outcome that we want <laughs> before yeah, we even, before I, I even surrender? Yeah, I like that too. Um, I, yeah, I found that to be really interesting. Um, like Cisco's not pretending anymore that he doesn't know the things. I mean, they, I like that even though this is, you know, still, we're getting more into serialization here, but it's still like pretty episodic. Like obviously we, you know, as you said earlier, we don't see Thomas Riker again, but it's interesting that they're still using knowledge that they have from previous episodes to make their decision so it's like informed decisions which i like um you had said earlier you know we have all these interactions between cisco and ducat and how they have to work together and they had this really interesting conversation about how sometimes they're they're both bad dads um because their professions <laughs> can come first before their families and they miss stuff um i always enjoy the episode the season the scenes we get with cisco and ducat because we always get to learn that they have some things in common, but their um, I feel like their general outlooks are very different. Like Cisco is hopeful that that Jake will remember that he was doing something heroic if he misses an important um, life thing for Jake, and Goldukat's like, "Yeah, my son's gonna remember that." Um, 
a Federation ship um, came and, like, tried to kill him on his 11th birthday, and I wasn't there for it. And it's just interesting to see that while they experience something similar, the way that they, their outlooks are very different. And I, like, are they two sides of the same coin? I don't know. Did you think that Cisco really deep down felt the same way that Gul Dukat did? Well, I was actually going to turn around the other way, and I, I don't, I don't want to disagree with you, but I don't know that I believe. Like, I mean, sure, I believe that me. he has We're an eleven-year-old son, but like, I don't even know that Gul Dukat cares so much as he thinks he can use that to manipulate Cisco into getting what he wants. Um, I guess I don't know. At the end of the episode, I didn't feel. I felt like Cisco. I felt like they both. I don't know. I, I see what I see what you're saying. I, I'm I'm just I'm always watching DS9 with a are they being too soft on Gul Dukat lens? So no, uh, and I and I I I feel that they often are going too soft on him. Um, but I I maybe I I guess I just took it what he was saying at base value, which which is fine, and it probably and probably the intention, but mostly because it wasn't Garrick saying it, right. Like, right. Garrick is a character that I read into, like, what he's saying. But Gold Dukat, I don't think he... Yes, he's manipulative. Don't get me wrong. And he's a liar. But I I don't think he came out on top much more than Cisco did at the end. So I don't... Like, if he was trying to do that, I don't know that it worked. Yeah, and, and like that's, he, that's the only other thing in this episode that I am not 100% sold on. It's like, I don't... It, Cisco is either uh, an amazing, very perceptive negotiator, or he got real lucky because, <laughs> you know, it just it just seems like with the you know, or, or the Cardassians have a lot to protect when it comes to the Obsidian Order, which is also very possible. But you know, it's it definitely seemed like uh, like at least I agree with you. Cisco definitely feels like he came out on top, uh, yeah, in this deal with the surrender and everything. Like, what does he care if like? central command knows what its own spy agency is up to like i don't think he cares if they have that information um right it's not like it's not like cisco's not gonna also look at the information he's not giving him the only copy of it i i assume (laughs) um i i very much enjoyed the kind of i say interpersonal drama even though it's like about two organizations it just felt very um very melodramatic like the the drama between central command and the obsidian order in this episode um i don't think before now we had i mean we had gotten some information about garrick and goldicott and their differences um but we still are we still don't fully know what what happened what happened with them so it is interesting to see like the animosity between you know ultimately i guess the executive branch and military versus like the cia if we're like gonna make an american Mm -hmm. um comparison um and i don't know enough about our about it in our um world honestly to like i do feel like it's sorry this is a lot of like segue words i just found it to be interesting and that the obsidian order is obviously like not following the rules that supposedly they were going to follow by not having military vessels um and they're protecting the system for some reason it just felt very like of course the spy agency is doing something shady but at the same time 
I always assume the Cardassians in general are doing shady things, and this episode kind of made me, like, they were too nice on Goldicott, as you said. <laughs> like, it just, like, they made you, they made me side with Central Command over the Obsidian Order, and I'm like, I shouldn't be liking any of these groups. <laughs> so it, it felt very much like the enemy you know versus, like, the enemy you don't know. Yeah, well, no. it's it's like... Sorry, Ryan, go ahead. Uh, oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I 100% agree with your reading on that, Elise, in that, you know, you, I, I feel like spy agencies uh, for powerful uh, powerful political organizations are always like, oh, yeah, sure, these rules sound great. We'll totally abide by them. And then be like, yeah, right. fuck those rules. Um, <laughs> you know, so I I definitely appreciate that, that sort of, I don't even want to call it nuance, but just that, that deepening of... Like, let's actually explore the implications of what the Obsidian Order means and Central Command. And I, I really enjoyed, like, um, as someone, you know, who occasionally enjoys, like, juicy gossip, I just like that Cisco was, like, there <laughs> watching this kind of play out. Oh, my God. Um, like, I feel like he should be, like, the, the you know, like, the beginning of, like, that um, that uh, Michael Jackson meme where he, in the beginning of Thriller when he's, like, eating the popcorn <laughs> at the movies, like, that to me it was like cisco watching this the popcorn meme. <laughs> yeah exactly and i i really enjoy, i really enjoyed that um and i just really again like knowing that there's other things going on and then you know it's sort of also in the ways that um starfleet slash the federation are compared and contrast to other powers and you know like the obsidian order always makes me reflexively think about section 31 and how like there's people in the federation up to shady shit all the time like it's just interesting how you know i feel like in you know in in my mind in tos because it's been quite a few years since i've sat down and watched like a bunch of episodes i feel like the depictions of like the Klingons and the Romulans and stuff is like fairly one dimensional. Um, and so like using a little bit more serialization to sort of like deepen and broaden and shade in a bunch of different layers within the Cardassian power structures is just super interesting. And I think, I think done really well in this episode. Um, I also wanted to shout out Trisha O'Neill as Coronas. Um, she was on, Two episodes of TNG, including yesterday's Enterprise, where she was, um, I think, her, uh, Rachel Garrett, captain of the uh, Enterprise C from earlier in the timeline, uh, which is just also one of my favorite TNG episodes. So when I saw her credit, I was like, oh, very cool. Like, I like that that has connections and it's cool when they bring back. It's cool that Trek can bring back character actors in small roles and like put some alien makeup on them and they can play another character again so they can keep working with people they like working with. Shout out to Jeffrey Combs, who was in the last episode. <laughs> Matt, I believe you were going to say something. Um, and I don't, I think it was about the Central Command and Obsidian Order. Oh, yeah, it's it's not, it's not important. We're all good. It's fine. It was just, I think the Obsidian Order is like the whole chaotic evil where Central Command is like lawful evil. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I agree. But like, I think Starfleet command is also lawful evil a lot of the time too so yeah i think they think that they're or lawful, lawful neutral good. yeah neutral i feel like yeah. they're kind of lawful yeah. yeah no i got i got i get what you're saying um, you know the whole colonization thing yeah yeah and, and, <laughs> and i can't remember the uh 
the actor or the character's name, but the Maquis Helms officer on the Defiance, I think was a Maquis in a DS or a TNG episode as well. I don't know if it was the woman strike or, or, the... or yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I could look it up, but I don't have it right in front of me. I should have written it down. She was the one who I felt like gave Thomas like that side eye when he like told him her to follow what Starfleet was saying. That made me think like these Maquis people are gonna go would go down if they fighting. um if they could yeah they could go down fighting thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I did see on Memory Alpha that there's a you know non canonical novel in which they reveal that this was Chakotay's idea this whole. Plot. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, that's exactly, I mean, this, no, it's, this is not to denigrate fanfic writers, but I'm like, that's totally something a fanfic writer would come up. I I think it's great. Oh, speaking of, like, I just felt like I, as we were saying earlier, like there's literally no need to find out like how Dax and Will Riker interacted earlier, um, pre-episode, but I would read a fanfiction about that. Like, I don't need the official story. I, I would just would i would read like a random person's version of it i would i would actually love if it was a like uh like almost like a novel length where like dax and Riker uh hook up three different times with three different hosts of dax oh wait that wouldn't make sense though oh wait it could make sense no hold on I don't, I, I, I don't know the Dax timeline well enough to know if that is actually possible, I mean, but I just like the possible. idea of that. Okay. Without spoiling anything, it's not possible right now, but it will be possible, like, you know, eventually. Right. Okay, yeah. So it's Shannon Cochran who reprises her role as Kalita from the penultimate episode of Next Generation Preemptive Strike. Um, who, like, that's the one where Ro comes back and joins the Maki. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. We love yeah, and it's, it's literally the second last episode of TNG because the next one is all good things. It's the finale. Yeah, um, I love. And then this episode things. aired, I think, the same week that Generations premiered in theaters. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna look that up too, and I and I forgot that was one of the things. Yeah. And I guess um, this is where maybe we can do it. We can do it backwards, and like maybe if if you're both amenable to this, talk about our most Star Trek things. Because like, my most Star Trek thing was. Because of the the crossover, like oh, this is like when Thomas is pretending to be Will, and it's like oh, this is Will from the Enterprise, blah 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 blah. And obviously, he's got the new com badge on, which the TNG folks don't get until Generations, like the new right. that the new mm-hmm. one that they got on DS Nine this year, that you know the Voyager one, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, where is this episode supposed to take place? Like in the timeline, is it must be shortly yeah. before Generations because the Enterprise is still out there. I just have a picture of you being like Charlie from It's Always Sunny with like the string board. Of, like, <laughs> oh, like the out. yarn wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Stri- string board, wall? yarn wall, yeah. same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, AJ and I were talking about that as well because of the uniforms too, I think. Yeah, so this episode aired three days after Generations premiered. Um, but it takes place before, according to Memory Alpha, because they referenced the Enterprise D it takes place before, gen- yeah. slightly before yeah. Generations, okay. at least. Got it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess the most, to me, the most Star Trek thing about uh, this episode was, 
Pro- I mean, probably the fact that Will Riker survive or Tom Riker survives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's and never is heard from again. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's you know, there's a lot of episodes where I feel like they're like, all right, we're gonna kind of leave this hanging out here, so you know, like we said, we we can come back to it, but uh, they didn't in this case. Um, uh, but I, I like me, that part of the justification was that like you know they could do whatever they wanted with tom because he wasn't will and they wouldn't have to worry about like you know whatever the plans for tng movies were going to be and yeah because he wasn't married yet right um and you know hypothetically tom could show up on picard Ooh, interesting hypothetically sure (laughs) i think my um most star trek thing is just the implication that will Riker is a rise of slut um we love it but i also think that will's reputation for being slutty is not even as accurate as he actually is um but i do think like it was such an easy in like oh yeah i'm on on my way to rise i had to stop by it's like so just felt very believable you get it will riker or you know obviously you're not will riker but i don't know how to like stop sentences (laughs) Anyway, I feel like Riza is is a thing that's more that's like one of those it's one of those Trek things that gets referenced way more often than it gets shown, which I'm yeah. which I which I'm totally fine with. But I I just like yes. that we all know we all know about Riza, <laughs> we all know what happens there. It's fine. Yeah, it's I would go there on a vacation and it would be great with or without Quark. Um, as lo- well, I mean, as long as Worf isn't there, I think we're safe. um i don't can't remember what season in your enterprise watch you're on at least but uh, riza appears in an enterprise episode yes i have i think i have passed that i'm in season two um it was oh the riza episode was really fun because no everyone had like it was it was like that trope where like everyone's trying to do something and they something crazy happens to everyone and then they never tell each other like what happened like someone got kidnapped and this other thing happened and like archer was like trying to hanging out with this lady who was shady and like at the end of the episode they all had gotten like taken for a ride and were like they never like admitted to each other what happened and it was just very funny because like it was like a fun way to like never talk about it again. <laughs> that was a good episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're doing things again a little out of order. Sorry about that, everyone. But now it's time for the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. And I guess we'll, we'll start with Ryan as the guest. Uh, Ryan, who are you thirsting for this week? Uh, I mean, definitely for, for Tom Riker uh, or any Riker that's in a slut era. Um, <laughs> I just, I really enjoy, you know, again, like going back to the. Um, just how attractive other characters find him makes him, you know, more sexy and a more charismatic leader. Um, you know, again, the way that Dax and Kira kind of interact, especially Kira immediately being infatuated with him to the point where I was like, wait, did they meet the last time he was on? Uh, like when he references that he was, you know, uh, yeah, Deep Space Nine and all, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, no, I guess not. But um you know, I, I just enjoy, I enjoy that, and I enjoy uh, when Trek is, um, you know, especially this era Trek is progressive and sex positive, which I feel like this episode is, is pretty sex positive for not ha- not actual sex in the episode. Yeah. Elise, what about you? 
Um, this is not my answer, but in my head canon, I feel like I wonder if something was going on between Tom Riker and that that Helms woman lady. Um, okay. Julian basically doms Kira in the scene where he has her like sat at Quark's and he's has Quark bringing over things for her to enjoy and demands that she better enjoy at least two of these things. This is the hottest thing I've ever seen on Deep Space Nine. Like, (laughs) I was blown away. I love you. (laughs) Like, please take care of me. It's nice. (laughs) Yeah. I love you too. Yeah, that was mine. (sighs) Yeah, I liked, I liked, we talked about it before, but I liked Dax teasing Kira about when Tom slash what she thought was Will was in, uh, yeah, was in Ben's office. It's like, who, who, huh, huh, what? That's just, just like, you know, uh, we, we love to see it. Mm-hmm. That is so Dax, too, to like just be a tease. Yeah, I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> well, was there anything else that either of you wanted to, uh, to mention or cover or think that we missed? Um, I just wanted to mention quickly because Elise had it in the notes and I don't think we ever quite answered the question about how we feel about uh, Cisco's quote unquote compromise uh, to this whole situation because it it feels crappy because it feels like you know the Federation being like oh we keeping the peace with the Kardashians uh, and punishing the Maquis for it is more important uh, than you know, actually listening to the concern, the, the like very valid concerns of these people. Um, and it just, it, even though Cisco wins, it, it, it felt bad to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that goes in like what we, like we've kind of alluded to before that, like the whole idea of the team up between Cisco and Dukat in this episode is like, yes, in a lot of ways, it's about air quotes, maintaining the peace, but like ultimately that's just the the shitty status quo that is harming a lot of people and like that goes back to kind of the whole like interesting element of the maquis and we talked about it a lot last season um, when we did the maquis two-parter with with tessa um but yeah sometimes the status is not quo and it just (laughs) the whole idea that like if everyone's dissatisfied but gets a little something out of the compromise it must be good Mm -hmm. is just this i don't know it's we make a lot of excuses for a lot of societal harm by like having that kind of attitude, right? So yeah, and I, and I think it it furthers. I, and again, if this needs to be cut out, so be it. But uh, it made me think a lot about all of these, um, uh, you know, the the big lie candidates that we have running in the United States right now, winning Republican primaries, and how just putting them on equal footing with another politician who does not believe that Trump won the 2020 election just feels like you're platforming people who are illegitimate and like you're creating a false equivalency. And that's kind of how I feel about the Federation and the Cardassians in this situation where like you're putting them on equal moral footing and like the Federation doing something shitty is just as shitty as the Cardassians doing something shitty. But like the show is told from the Federation perspective. So we're like by default thinking of them as like the good guys. But I I, I just want to say, I think you guys have done a really good job exploring that. And I will uh, heartily recommend anybody who's listening to this, who is not 
listened to those earlier Mikey episodes. Tessa was a fantastic guest on those. And I think you guys talked through a lot of a lot of the stuff that I felt watching this episode in that. So I don't want to repeat too much of that discussion, but I just wanted to make sure we touched on it. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. I don't have anything else to say. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, if we obviously mentioned it before in your, your role at movie, at movie John, but if folks want more of you or your work specifically, where can they, where can they find you online? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd uh, at Silber, whatever. That's with a B. And then again, you know, on MovieJohn.com as well as in uh, our quarterly print zine that we do at MovieJohn. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace, and you can email us at PodRace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song, and also thank you to our editor, Melissa. And until next time, computer and program. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.